believes it in Jesus' name. I'm glad you're here. Make your way back to your seats if you're a guest today. I'm so glad that you're here today. And I can't wait to meet you. Hopefully you'll hang around. My wife and I can meet you today before you go. Let's all stand for the word today. Uh, Sister Sarah, I didn't give it to you, but Ezekiel 37. And uh, just 1 through 14. And if you've got a Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to speak to, to dead things, to dry bones, to dead dry bones today. And they're going to live. Everybody say they're going to live. You see, we are, we are the church, and we've got the power of creation in us. We've got the Spirit of God in us. And we can speak to things, and they'll start to live. It is the source of all creation, is spirit moving, a word going forth, and a manifestation of life. That's the way God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about it last week. We talked about how everything goes back to the spirit. And so when the spirit begins to move, I feel a word come over me, and that word is creative. And if you submit to the word, just like the earth had to submit to God, it could not say no, then things will be created in this atmosphere today. If you'll submit to the word as the spirit moves, then something new will come from nothing. And that's how God works. And so I want to just speak today, and I'll, I'm going to use a very unforgettable story, a very powerful story in Ezekiel 37 and 1 to bring this out and launch today. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit. Someone say the spirit. Man, it's cool when you get in the spirit of the Lord. And set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. That means there was a lot of death. And then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, get a good look all around at all that death. It's okay to acknowledge the death. It's okay to acknowledge what you're dealing with. You know, some people want to say, I don't want to see it, but you got to see it. You got to know what you're working with. And God gets no glory if you can't confess it's dead. So step one, somebody say step one, get in the spirit. Say step two, acknowledge the death. It's bad, it's dirty, it's nasty, but the spirit's moving. <laughs> Something's about to happen to these bones because the spirit's moving. So get a good look at it. I want you to know what I'm about to do. Verse 3, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? What a question to ask someone like us. We don't know the answer to that question. How am I going to know if a bunch of bones can live? That would be a miracle. So, so I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. That's exactly right. God knows if they can live. I may not know. God knows. That's why you got to get in the spirit. Because I don't know what can live, Brother Edgar. God does. And when God begins to tell me stuff can live, nobody can fight that. When God begins to speak to me, and I feel like dead things can come to life, some faith comes over me, and I start to want to prophesy what God is saying to me. And so he says, I'm going to acknowledge that only you know. And again, he says, prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the bones. And say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Speaking to things that, how could they hear? How could they hear? They don't have ears. They're dead, dry bones. Verse 5, thus says the Lord to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with the skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. You want to know that God is real? Bring him something dead start speaking over it bring him something dead and get a move of the spirit you want to know God is real we need something to go wrong I'm pretty confident today there's something going wrong that God's going to make right before we leave today man I already feel the Holy Ghost I already feel a spirit of prophecy right now in this place you feel it too. You feel like something can change in a moment when that word goes forth. That's because the Spirit's here. There's an anticipation when the Holy Ghost is here. The dead things can live. And so verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded to. I've got to say what the Lord says to say. And he prophesied and there was noise and there was a, suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over all of them, and, and there, but there was no breath in them yet. And he said, prophesy to the breath. Don't stop prophesying when you got half your miracle. Keep speaking to it until it's finished. 
Some people have half prophecy. Some people can speak and almost get there and give up because you get frustrated. You didn't see it all like you thought you would. Keep saying it. Keep speaking it. Get more detailed if you have to. But don't give up. When you see progress, it's working. Keep speaking. There's more that God's going to work in and do. So prophesy to the breath, prophesy unto a man and say to the breath, Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these that are slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. They're not just alive, but they've got great authority. God does so much more than we realize. God doesn't just put us back together. God puts us back together and gives us power and authority. Why? Because he wants to make sure you don't die again. Obviously, whoever this army was wasn't good at winning. They died. They died all together in battle. But God wants to make sure that we don't end up back in the same situation that we were before. God doesn't just put us back together. We don't just prophesy life. We prophesy victory. We prophesy victory, authority, and power. And when God gets done with us, I'm not just alive. I don't just have life. I've got abundant life. I'm not going back to the grave. I'm not going to be defeated again. When God does a work in me, it's perfect. So it makes a great army, exceeding great army. He says to, the, says to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they indeed say, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. And we ourselves are cut off. It's a symbol of Israel having no hope until the prophet speaks over them. No hope until the prophet speaks. Hopeless until somebody brings a word. Well, what, 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 could, what good could a word do? Words don't really matter that much. Yeah, they do. Well, that's, why, that's why when you were driving this week and somebody cut you off and they, they hollered at you or something, you got mad wanting to fight them. Off of a, off a stranger's word. Somebody look at you crosswords in H-E-B, and you got you, one word, one little word, people want to fight. I'm telling the word can create things. The word can change atmosphere. Yeah, word does matter. And our world is full of negative words, of death words, of dark words. But we're the people of prophecy, and we speak life. We speak life. We're the people that speak, and life comes from nothing. Help us today. Understand who we are, Jesus. We're the people that speak to dry, dead situations that are hopeless, cut off, and we prophesy. We prophesy and say to them, says the Lord God, verse 12, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of the grave. We sung about that, didn't we? And bring you into the land of Israel, and therefore you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O oh my people, and brought you up out of your graves, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have performed it, says the Lord. God wants it to be clear at the end of the service that it was a work that only he could do. There's some things you can do. There's some things you can figure out, but there's some things you can't. And for those things, we're going to speak today in the name of Jesus. And I believe that things that shouldn't happen are going to happen because the Spirit of God can do anything. Anything. Somebody say anything. If you believe it, clap your hands and give the Lord great praises by faith that you know he's here, that you know he's working, and that you know just one word of faith can bring dead things back to life. In Jesus' name, somebody say in Jesus' name. You can be seated for a little bit today. I believe that there's, there's nothing good in us, and I believe there's nothing we can do that is good. I believe that I can't do it by myself. How many of you believe that? I believe I can't do it by myself. I don't believe in self-help. I don't believe in self-help. I cannot help myself. I don't believe in looking in the mirror and saying, I can do all things through myself. But I do believe, look in the mirror and saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe if God is in it, then anything is possible. Because I believe that my God can do anything. I believe that with all of my heart. There's nothing too hard for my God. 
You've got to believe it in your heart. There's nothing that's too hard for your God. That if God wants to do it, it can be done. He just wants to partner with somebody. He just wants to partner with someone, and it shall come to pass. If you look at all of the promises of God towards humanity, they almost always hinge on our obedience to God. Very rarely does God ever do anything without us submitting to His plan. Uh, the promises are often conditional. Adam and Eve were given paradise if they obeyed God. They weren't given paradise no matter what. Because you need God to have victory. You cannot have victory without God. Your life won't work without God. Nobody's life is working without God. People have tried money, and they've tried relationships, and they've tried fame, and they end up being OD'd on drugs. They end up committing suicide. But there's no life outside of God. There is no joy outside of God. Nothing is good without God. Nothing. Yep. You see, Adam and Eve, their blessings were tied to their connection to God. They could not have paradise unless they were right with God. God will never let us have paradise without having a connection, a commitment, a dedication to Him. That's how this works. Humanity was wicked, so God destroyed all but Noah because Noah chose to be right with God. There's great blessings in staying right with God. There's great curses by getting on God's bad side. Going against God is going against life, going against potential, going against prophecy. When you go against God, it does not turn out good. That's why the promises of God are conditional. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That's what the prophet said. Then I'll hear from heaven. Then I'll, hear, I'll heal your lands. Then will I begin to work in your situation. It's, somebody say, conditional. There is no life going against God's ways. And the anti-Jesus agenda will always implode, always. Our country is starting to become anti-Christ. What's happening to our country? The writing is on the walls. We've turned against God. We took things, we took prayer out of school. Uh, people don't go to church like they used to. Look at the trend. We're, we're trending down because we started to become less of a Christian people. It's happening and we're in the experiment right now. If you don't put God first, it's not working out good. It never does. God can judge. And God can kill the wicked. Here's why. Because the wicked are on the way to killing themselves anyway. Y'all, Chicago's killing themselves. Y'all believe that? There are parts of Chicago that are killing each other. You're like, why God, why would you ever judge wickedness? Because wickedness is going to die anyway. Wickedness kills itself. Wickedness is suicidal. Wickedness is self-defeating. There is no hope for the wicked because the wicked, they've determined to do it against God and their end is suffering and pain and hell. This is why the Lord has always judged the wicked. This is why God flooded the earth, because the earth was full of wickedness. People wonder why God would do that. It's because God is the righteous judge, and, and God's just going to speed up the process, because these people are going to kill themselves anyway. So God's just going to go ahead and rid it out and clean out the area. That's how God works. It makes sense. Why do you think that America has become the most powerful and free, blessed nation in all the world? Because it started with Christian belief systems at its roots. The only thing you've got is slavery. That's all you have. That's the only thing we talk about. We talk on America being a messed up nation. Is that we had slaves. I'll also remind you we got rid of it. Other nations have it. Many other nations still have slavery. Many other nations still oppress people. Many other nations that are godless still live that way. But when you walk with Jesus in a Christian nation, you get rid of things that are not of God, like slavery. You get rid of those things. This nation, besides that, has been a prosperous, blessed, free. Liberty is in this nation. Why? Because this nation has tried to try to put Jesus in our belief systems. 
our money said in God we trust. Our politicians would pray before acts of Congress and they would talk about God. The Ten Commandments were up and we're all leaving that behind. And look what's happening to our nation. It's happening right now before our eyes. Our nation has been blessed because it has been mainly a Christian nation. It chose to put the teachings of Jesus in the mix. While I don't believe any of our politicians were preachers and apostles, I do believe many of them were raised going to church. It's historical that many of our founding fathers attended churches, went to churches, and they tried to live according to the teachings of the Bible. Let that sink in for a second. That's the only reason why there's blessings. And when you begin to turn on that, the blessings stop. Pain comes in. Suffering comes in, and we are watching it right here. Let me also clarify. This nation did not start with the teachings of the Mother Mary in the Catholic Church, but the teachings of Jesus. The founding fathers did not go around praying to Mary because there was a biblical context to it. That's very important to understand. I'm mentioning that because Catholic countries fell short, and there's too much corruption in the Catholicism generally. There are Catholics that are wonderful people. But I'm talking about the institution of Catholicism does not put Jesus preeminent and before all. They go through other channels that are not biblical, in my opinion. And so their nations have not been as blessed as America. Because we are the most Jesus nation in all the world. We're not just a religious nation. We're not just a Christian nation. We're a Jesus nation. This is the nation that for the most part has lifted up the name of Jesus. When you lift up the name of Jesus, there's liberty and there's freedom and there's power. And I am thankful for the benefits of Catholicism because there are benefits. I just don't believe it is the full doctrine and the full truth. And I can prove it to you because the name of Jesus has blessed us. facts guys it's just facts there's so much corruption in so many other religions there's so much corruption all over the world God has blessed because we have tried to put him first this nation saw victory because our founding fathers desired to use the Bible for many of their inspirations they said freedom of religion and that you could worship God freely Without government restrictions, that was their original intention. They never dreamed that America would go against God. They never dreamed that America would promote Islam. They did not want the freedom of any religion. They wanted the freedom for us to serve Jesus without the government controlling us. Go study history. Study why they left Europe. They left Europe because they were being controlled. They wanted more of a separation between church and state. They wanted Jesus to influence individuals and individuals be politicians. They did not want the politicians to be the preachers. So they said, we're going to separate this. It doesn't work good mixing these two things, okay? Uh, they did not believe in Allah, our forefathers. They believed in Jesus Christ. That's why America is blessed. See, people are right now in the world wondering, which is the real God? Is it Christianity? Is it Jehovah? Is it the Jews? Is it Islam? I want you to look at the writing on the walls. Jesus is king. Jesus produced the economy. Jesus produced the blessing. Everything we have is because we're Jesus people. No other nation in the world has been ever to create what we've created because we have put Jesus forward. I, my mind is made up. I'm going to keep worshiping Jesus to the end of time because I have seen the fruit of Jesus. I've seen it right here in America where I haven't seen it. I, I, I see what Islam does across the world. I see what the atheist China does. I see what uh, the Roman Catholic or whatever Russia does. I see how every other nation in the world who does not put Jesus first has fallen, how there's corruption and brokenness. And now I see our very own America coming just like the other nations because we have turned our back on Jesus. What am I saying all that for? I'm saying that you have to have a partnership with Jesus to have blessings. 
I'm saying you have to have a covenant and a commitment to the Lord to have anything go your way. If you turn your back on God, nothing will happen. Try all you want to. We must have a devotion to Jesus Christ. Try all you want to. We must submit to him. Try all you want to. We must seek his face daily. We need him to make it. There is no victory without obedience to the one true living God, and his name is Jesus. Now, part of today, I'm going to deal a little bit with Islam because there is an antichrist spirit, and there is revelation, and there are many people who believe that Islam is going to take over the whole world. And there probably is some uh, validity to that because of the scriptures talking about Armageddon, I think we're on the edge of probably Armageddon. We are so close to another world war. It wouldn't take a whole lot with what's happening right now in Israel. And there's going to be a spirit come up that says Christianity is not the way, but Allah is the way and Muhammad is the way. And that's going to come up, and it's actually trending now more on social media. And the reason why is because people are seeing Palestinians and Gazans help each other during this horrible bombing that's going on right now. And they think that that is because the power of Allah is helping them. No, it's not the power of Allah. It's whenever you're under stress and being bombed, you pull together and try to survive. You do it too. Atheists would do it. You help each other when you're being bombed. But we think we're seeing the resilience of a powerful God at work. And that's not true at all. It's not Islam. It's not the Muslims. It's not their belief in their God that is great and powerful. No, not at all. I have never seen an Islamic Muslim nation do anything besides hold people back. Talk about women's rights. It's amazing how women in our nation is so pro-woman and yet so pro-Hamas. Hamas will kill women and rape women. It's horrible what they will do. It's so sad. I'm so glad I'm a Christian. Aren't you women glad you're in the Christian church? I'm so thankful for what we believe in. Our women are safe here. Our women are valuable. They're not animals to us. They're not second-class citizens to us. Our Bible says that the men should be willing to lay down their lives for the women. That's the teachings of our God. I love Christianity. And it's going to be under attack, and you're going to see it more and more. But I just want you to understand, our devotion to Jesus Christ is what creates the blessing. Specifically, there is no one blessed that does not worship Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the favor and the might of God on their side. You get money through war and drugs and selling things and evil. You get money through killing people and cutting their heads off. You become powerful. You know why Islam is powerful and scary? Because they'll kill you if you don't listen. You know what, you know what you're scared of me for? Is I might, I might say something that hurts your feelings. They'll cut your head off. If you're homosexual in this church, I'll pray for you. They'll throw you off a roof. You know what that does to all the other homosexuals? Makes them want to convert real fast. Makes them say, well, I guess I don't want to be home. No, it makes them go hide is what it does. It doesn't fix anything. Is this awkward for you? That's the problem. You ought to already have this in your spirit figured out. This is not awkward for me. I know the truth. This isn't weird for me. I'm not afraid of that spirit. I'm not going to be silenced by it. You see, the Antichrist spirit wants to make you guys scared. Scared you're going to get canceled. I'm a dead man walking anyway. I'm not afraid of being canceled. So much fear in our world right now. And that's what we got to speak life to it. There's nothing to be afraid of. Y'all, we have the revelation of the truth. We are blessed people. You're not going to see me going out there strapping bomb to myself to prove I love God. You're going to see me loving people that are mean to me. You're going to see me sacrificing my time, my energy. You're going to see me doing things for people in real love. Not going out in blazing glory. That's all about you. Getting a name for yourself in the news. That's not the way of our God. Let me get back to my notes here. Some people are accidentally blessed because they're obeying Jesus, and they don't even realize it. There's atheists that obey Jesus and don't even realize it. Let me give you an example. If a rich man made a worldwide contest, and he hit money. Let's say he hit a, I don't know, this might be a unique, a golden ticket in a candy bar. Y'all probably never heard of that before, but let's just say he did something like that, and, and, and whoever won the golden ticket opened up the candy bar became a billionaire, got a billion dollars. If he announced that and said that, some of y'all got way too excited. You didn't shout during worship, but you just got a little something jump inside of you right there. 
you better back off all that love for money. And so if the billionaire did that, and he made the announcement, and he put it out there and said, look, whoever opens up this candy bar, whoever gets it's going to be a billionaire. And you, you didn't hear about it. You didn't know about it. You weren't on social media. Some of y'all don't have Facebook, so you don't have a clue. You just go through life like an ostrich head in the sand. And one day, you got a little craving for a candy bar. You showed up to a gas station, and you just grabbed a random candy bar. You didn't even care. You just wanted some chocolate. You know what I mean? Some of y'all just want some chocolate every now and then. Some of you ladies, okay. And so you just want a little chocolate every now and then. You know, you're like, I need some chocolate. And you open up that candy bar, and there's a gold ticket in there. And you're like, what is this? And somebody's like, first of all, you better get out of here. I'm going to kill you. But second of all, do you understand what you just got? And you're like, I don't know what this is. You go sit in your car, and you look it up on the Internet, like, what's a golden ticket for? And it's like, whoever wins a golden ticket gets a billion dollars. Do you get the billion dollars even though you didn't know? You don't have to know to be, get the blessing. And there are people right now who are atheists that live according to our Bible and don't even know where it came from. And they're blessed because of it. I'll give you an example. There's people that forgive people because it's the best way to live. They don't know that our Bible told us to do it, but they do it anyway. Because they found out that it's blessed to forgive people. It's a God principle. They get to open the candy and get the blessing. They don't even know that there's a contest going on. There are people that partner with Jesus and don't even intend to, and they get the blessing. They don't even know. And you see people out there that are blessed that don't go to church, but they're still living according to a lot of the laws in our Bible. Like they are friendly to people. Yeah. The Bible says be a good steward of what you own so that they take care of their money. That's a biblical principle. That's a biblical principle. They don't even have to believe in God. God is blessing them because God is not going to be partial. He goes according to his law. He does not have favorites. He doesn't pick people over other people. He goes according to his law. And if you plant, you shall reap. See the point I'm trying to make? is God will bless people because he said, if you do it, I'll bless you. And there are people that don't understand how blessed they are because they do it by God's. I laugh sometimes. I'm like, oh, they have a lot. And I'm like, but they obey a lot of scriptures and don't even realize it. They don't go to church. They don't understand where it's coming from. But God will bless them because God set all of this up. Gravity works on atheists and Christians. It doesn't matter. You're all going to fall. You don't have to believe in where it comes from. It works. Yeah. Loving your neighbor blesses you regardless of your religion. If you treat your neighbors good, it doesn't matter religion you are. It doesn't matter. God's not going to be like, well, you're not, you don't go to Pentecost church, so I'm not going to let you have any favor. If you do it God's way, God will bless you. See the point I'm trying to make? Partner with God. If you're already scratching the surface of doing it God's way and he's already blessing you unintentionally, then imagine what would happen if you got serious about it. Imagine if you got all in what God would do for you. You're accidentally blessed in this nation. There are people that are living on the blessings of America because we've all been serving Jesus so long. You're getting a crumb from the table and you don't even realize the blessing does not come from us. It comes from our commitment to Jesus. I want to go to America because they have this idea. Where did the idea come from? It comes from Jesus. These were Christian people that started this nation. Not Muslim, not Islam. No. Not Hindu, not Buddhist. Jesus people started this nation. No wonder there's so much blessing. When you do it God's way, there's blessing and favor. Yeah, it's true. So God doesn't, God doesn't tell us that we can be victorious all by ourselves. Never does he do that. Abraham was just a regular guy. But God saw the father of many nations inside of him. But watch this. God said, I will make you a great nation. Oh, Abraham's not special. God is special. Abraham's not special. You're not special. The God that's calling you is special. You hearing me right now? Abraham, you're not special because God is going to make you into the nation. All you've got to be willing to do is walk with him. And the Bible says that Abram left his family, walked with God, and God turned him into a mighty nation. Abraham's not special. He partnered with the power of God. And God produced victory because God has victory. 
Moses. That's the last guy that should have been used to deliver God's people, probably. Because he murdered someone, ran away into the woods, scared. But God saw a slavery chain breaker inside of Moses. But look how God called Moses. He said, I will go before you. Moses, you're not special. You just learned to partner with God. David, a young shepherd boy. But God saw a mighty king inside of him. And Samuel, the prophet, showed up and drenched him in oil to let him know that this is coming from up high. And this is something God's doing to you. And this is not your own power. It's not your own might. But this is going to be the might of God that's being placed on you, David. And David, the only reason why you're going to be able to do anything is because God picked you. Because you've partnered with God. Because you've learned to worship God. Because you've learned to walk with God. And learned to praise God. And learned to play your heart for God. And the only reason why you're going to have anything happen good in your life, David, is because God's with you. And God's picked you. There's nothing in you that's special. Listen, God does not pick you because of you. He picks you because of what he can do through you. Really, he picks himself. When God picks you, he's asking you to partner with him because God sees your victory in himself. God does not see your victory in you. God does not see anything in you that can produce a victory. What God sees in you is a heart that is willing to submit to him. And when God sees somebody that's willing to partner with him, God sees victory not because of you, not because of your power, not because of your strength, but because of your submission and your willingness to let him work through you. God saw the whale submarine captain inside of the prophet Jonah. God saw the fearless queen in Esther. God saw the refusal to bow in the three Hebrew boys. God saw the lion tamer in Daniel. He saw the second chance fighter in Samson. Our God is not hesitant to choose you because he's worried that he will not be able to give you victory. Our God is only hesitant to pick you when he doesn't see a desire for himself in you. The only reason God does not pick you to use you is because you don't want to be picked. Because there's nothing in you that will work. You're dead, dry, bones. He doesn't need your talent. He doesn't need your ability, your strength, your pedigree, your money. Nothing you have is good enough to get God's attention. God is not looking for someone in this room right now who has potential. God doesn't see potential in you. God sees potential in himself. Never have heard that before, have you, Brother Matthew? We haven't heard that before. We've all heard in church, when you come to church, let the pastor pat you on the back and say, you can do it, but you can't. He can do it. God doesn't see anything good in you. Jesus said, there is none good but God. There's nothing in us. There's nothing in us that's worthy to be called, to be loved, to be chosen, to be picked. Only thing in us is submission and a heart for God. For the Bible says that, that man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And when God sees heart, God sees victory. When God sees someone willing to bend their knee in, in submission, then God sees something he can do a victory in. It's a sad thing that God has to find dead dry bones to talk to. But I think the reason why God talks to dead dry bones is because they can't say no. You ever been there before? You ever got so dead and so dry? You couldn't say no to God. You ever been there before? Be honest. Some of you are there right now. You ever got so dead, so dry that you couldn't tell God no? You ever got to that bottom of the egg or I see the tears in your eyes, brother. You ever got to that place in life where you knew you were so dead, so dry that you finally got tired of arguing with God. You finally got tired of saying you can make it alone. You finally got tired of looking in the mirror, reading a self-help book, saying if I could just muster the strength up, if I could just get through this battle, and you finally realize I'm so dead, I'm so dry, if God doesn't use me.
sometimes God has to wait till you're dead and dry before he prophesies over you. Because dead, dry bones, they submit real good to the Spirit. Dead, dry bones catch on fire real fast. Dead, dry bones can live again when God begins to speak to them. So this is what I, I felt to tell you today. God sees victory in himself. He sees your victory in himself. He sees what you can become. He sees your potential. When he sees how he can partner with you, he sees your potential. And that's why we have to have prophecy in the church. That's why we have to talk about what God can do through you in the church. Because there's a lot of dead and dry bones all around this city. And I was praying last night, and I said, God, I got a, we got a lot of new people coming to church. And sometimes I look up during worship, and it, it looks like, no offense to some of you, like they're dead, dry bones. They come to church, but Lord, I don't understand why they just sit there. Like there's no life, there's no joy. I'm not seeing any fruit in them. And God, there's a lot of them, and I want to help them, and I care about them. Every guest that walks to the door, my heart goes out, and I want to help them. And I'm sitting here thinking, God, what good can come from people who are so broken and so hurt, have been through so much hell and trauma and suffering and pain, and the Lord said, can these dead, dry bones live? And I said, only you know. And God said, go tell them. Go tell them to live. Go tell them to live. You get in that microphone and you tell them to live. You get in that place and you prophesy. And the Lord began to tell me that we need prophecy in the church. And prophecy is not reserved for just the prophets. But there's a spirit of prophecy. And the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And if you feel the prophecy spirit come over you, it's not out of order. It's in order. Because if you get out of line, the prophet, the authority in the church will stop it and shut it down. There's no reason to fear prophecy. And when you learn prophecy, prophecy is not to kill. Prophecy is not to take out and make you into a dead, dry bone. Prophecy is to make things live that are already dead. If you're a true prophet, you're not going to condemn everybody all the time in church. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm not going to condemn you. You're already condemned. You can't prophesy something we already know. Walking around being like, you're condemned. You're a sinner. That's not prophecy. That's Bible. You're not very spiritual when you walk around and God gave you a word that everybody's going to hell all the time. You're not very spiritual when you can see the obvious. Brother Matthew, anybody can tell when bones are dead and dry. You're not a prophet if you walk around the church and you see things that are dead and dry and you call them dead and dry. You're carnal. It takes a real prophet to look at dead things and say, I see life. It takes somebody very spiritual to look at someone who's been abused by drugs who's got all kinds of issues in their personality because of their childhood, and to look at them and say, I don't see that. I see an army. I don't see that. I see something that can live. I don't see the history. I don't see the abuse. I don't see that suffering. I don't see how messed up you are. When I look at you, I see a mighty army with the breath of life in them. I don't see a dead, dry bone graveyard. I see something coming out. I see something raising up. The spirit of prophecy sees the potential of what God can do in broken, busted vessels. So how does this look in the real world? My closing today is going to be 1 Corinthians 14, where the Apostle Paul tells us there ought to be prophecy in church. And I love this chapter, and I won't be able to do it all justice, but we're going to look at it before we leave today, and then, and then we're going to begin to speak to dead, dry things. Are you ready? Let's look at some context. I've been preaching, but now let me explain it. Give me a moment. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1, pursue love and desire spiritual. The word gifts was added in to give context. But really that word just means desire to be in the spirit. Desire spiritual things. Desire to be walking in the Holy Ghost. You're supposed to pursue love. Or the King James Version says to follow love. 
but then your desire to be spiritual, but especially that you may prophesy. Out of all the gifts, out of all the things we can do to be spiritual, there's nothing more spiritual than looking at dead things and seeing life. Help us, Holy Ghost. We need this bad right now. You hear me? We need this spirit bad right now. We are surrounded by dry bones everywhere we look. Every Facebook post, everything you see on social media is dead, dry bones. Everywhere you look, you ask, can this live? You'll never be more spiritual than when you look at things that are not and you see life in them and you see hope in them. And you see more than brokenness and busted people, but you see potential, the God potential in people. And God wants there to be prophecy in the church. Verse 2, for he who speaks in a tongue or a language does not speak to men, but in a foreign language or unknown language, I should say, does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. We believe in tongue talking in this church. But when you're speaking in tongues, that's between you and God. It does not help anybody else. Speaking in tongues does not resurrect the dead. It might resurrect you. But it does not get outside of you and bless anybody else. And Paul is explaining that it's good to talk in tongues, but understand what the purpose of it is. There needs to be prophecy when we gather together. There needs to be people lifting up their voice as the Spirit leads them, speaking to dead, dry things, look them in the eyeballs and say, rise up, live, live again. Prophecy. Verse 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification or building up and exhortation and comfort to men. Did y'all hear that definition? Y'all see in this? Let's follow the scriptures together. Are you ready? Edification. Everybody say building up. Exhortation. Somebody say exhortation. To exhort, to celebrate, and comfort to men. When you come together in the church and you start prophesying on each other, things get better, not worse. Are you really a prophet? Are you really prophesying the right way? How come everybody around you is quitting God? How come everybody around you doesn't want to serve God? How come your inner circle is nothing but dead, dry bones all the time? Where are the prophecies at? Where are the people that see life at Thanksgiving? Where are the people that speak over their family and say, I don't care what side of the tracks we grew up on. I don't care what grandma did or grandpa did. I see life in you. Where are the people who prophesy to dead, dry things? Where are we at? We need to speak. We need to lift our voices up and use our, our mouth and our tongue for good. make sure when you do it, you do it to edify, to exhort, to comfort, to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. When I talk in tongues, I feel better. That's great. I'm glad you feel better. Talk in tongues. Go ahead. But, but then eventually you need to speak to other people. You Don't text it. Don't email it. Talk to them. Stop all that. The spirit of Antichrist says don't hang out, don't get together, don't talk to anybody. That's because you don't know how to speak to people. If you learn how to prophesy, dead things can start to live around you. Lord, help us. God, help us understand what we have, un we have to unlock inside of us. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. You get a whole lot more done in the kingdom by speaking what people understand in prophecy. Unless indeed he has an interpreter that the church may receive edification. Y'all, the context is when we get together. When you're by yourself, go ahead and speak in tongues all you want. But when you gather together, Paul is saying it doesn't do any good for us if you're just sitting around talking in tongues when you got people that are dead around you. We do that. What tongues have become our, our, hidden, our hidden excuse to not have to minister to each other. I've seen people come to church and just get in a corner and just talk in tongues and be like, well, something's happening somewhere because I'm talking in tongues. Something's happening in you. But at some point, you've got to engage in the language of the other people. 
You've got to get over yourself, get over your fear, and begin to go up to people and pray with them and speak life into that situation that is dead. We are desperate. We are thirsty for attention in this world. That's why there's TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat, because people have no one that likes them. But there is a healthy way to get attention, and that is called prophecy. That attention has nothing to do with how good you are, Brother Andrew. That attention comes from how good God is. I don't give attention to win friends and influence people. I give attention because God sees the potential in people. I give attention. I pray for people. I talk to people because my God saw something in me, and I see something in you. I get around people because I know what God can do with a word. I know what God can do when you start to talk and speak life to them. I know what God can do when we stop talking negative and stop trashing and stop belittling and stop condemning and we start speaking life to dead, dry bones. Our, our society is desperate for it. I'm telling you right now, increase prophecy, decrease social media. The reason why our kids are desperate for attention is because the parents are not prophesying. The Lord spoke to me and said, it doesn't matter what they're going through, no matter what they look like, you keep speaking. The Lord said, it doesn't matter what's happening in the church, what's happening in Austin, what's happening in the world, keep speaking life. Keep speaking life. Don't see death. Don't see defeat. I don't care what the news says. As long as you're with me, I'm going to speak life. As long as you're around me, I'm going to see an army rise up. As long as you hang around me, I'm going to speak to the dead things. And I'm telling you, they will live. They will live in the name of Jesus. They will rise up out of the grave. I love this chapter. It is. It's so good. Where are we at? Verse, verse 6. Brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or, or by teaching, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound? How will it be known what's piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? There needs to be something specific happening in the church for things to live. Enough shotgun prophecy. Enough saying, be blessed. Enough saying, sha-la-la-la, and talking in tongues in the microphone thinking that you're spiritual. Where are the words that bring life to congregations, to crowds, to armies, to city blocks? I dare say it's easier to talk in tongues. To prophesy over dead things. And we are guilty in Pentecost of pushing tongues more than prophecy. Because we like to edify ourselves. God's calling the church, guys, the ministers, the ministers' wives right now, the minister women in this place. God's calling us to see life in dead things and start to talk in the language of the people that are here, what God's trying to do in them. to get in your heart today you have to get in your spirit today verse 9 so likewise you unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand how will it be known what is spoken for you'll be speaking into the air sounds pretty doesn't it but no, nothing's going to live there are it may be so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance therefore if I do not know the meaning of the language I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me even so you since you are zealous for spiritual gifts was added then let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel you want to be so gifted and talented by God but the point of it all is to build the church up not you point of me seeking a gift is not to make me feel better about myself, but to see dead things live around me. Thank you, Father. Therefore, verse 13, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. When you get done talking in tongues for 15 minutes, ask God to give you a word for somebody else. All that spirituality, all that getting drunk in the Holy Ghost, good, do it. But where's the word for someone else when you get done? When you get done praying in your prayer closet, come out of it with a word for someone else. 
When you get done praying in the altar and you boohooed and you sobbed and you talked in tongues and saw angels, what about the broken dead things around our community that need someone to stand up and prophesy and speak over them? God help us get our mouth right. Life and death is in the tongue. Verse 14, if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, but then I will also pray with understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I'll also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, amen? At your giving of thanks. He does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other's not edified. Good job, you're blessed, but no one else is. Not the will of God for us, church family. To be surrounded by dead bones, shouting on top of them. I refuse to have my shout sessions on top of dead bones. I refuse to come to church and just get mine. I want to get mine and let it overflow into somebody else. I want to speak into someone else's life until everything around me begins to blossom and grow and be benefited by the overflow of God's spirit inside of me. Look at this. Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. He's not saying don't talk in tongues. He's saying I talk in tongues a whole lot, yet in the church. Somebody say in the church. Where are we at right now? We're in the church. The context here is don't talk in tongues. The context is, is learn when to do what. And we happen to be in church today. And that means there needs to be some prophecies going forth in this place. There needs to be some people seeing some things come to life in this place. That is what God's going to do in this service. Let me finish this part so you have the context. Brethren, do not be children, verse 20, in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And the law is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but to the unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? And they have. Haven't they, Brother Jose? People have come to our Pentecostal church services and they've heard everybody talking in tongues and they're dead. They can't understand why you won't pass it along. That doesn't happen through tongues. That happens through somebody letting that spirit use them to see life and potential in the people around this building right now. God's going to do it to us. Does anybody else in this place want God to use you to raise up armies of dead, dry bones. Does anybody else have family at home that's dead and dry and you've talked in tongues and you've talked in tongues and you've talked in tongues and they won't change and they won't come to church and they don't want to go to church and they don't want a Bible study and they don't care about God. What if you're doing it all wrong? What if you need to go home and look them in the eyes and begin to speak to that person and say, I see victory in you. That's how we're going to reach the world, church family. It's how we're going to reach this city. You hear me? We're going to stop going around seeing drunk people. We're going to see people filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to stop going around and see people broken. We're going to see them whole. We're going to stop going around the city seeing people that are strung out on drugs. We're going to see them whole in their right mind with the right spirit. We're going to see them baptized in Jesus' name, full of the Holy Ghost. Anybody see it in Jesus' name right now? It's time to prophesy. Let's all stand to our feet right now. It's time to prophesy. Well, Pastor, I'm scared. If I speak something over somebody, nothing's going to happen. I know you are. I know you are. But prophecy is conditional. And they don't have to want it. But they never even start to want it until you prophesy. You see, people that are lost and carnal can't see themselves getting out of the hole that they're in. But we can. Because we got out. And we know that if God can do it for us, God can do it for people in our church. God can do it for anybody. 
And this world is desperate for someone to go up to them and give them a word of encouragement. A word that lifts them from the gutters. My dad told me, he's a businessman, not a preacher. He was a preacher and then had some struggles with God and then he became a businessman. And one thing my dad has told me all of my life is people want attention. And that's a carnal way or earthly way, not a carnal way. That's an earthly way of saying people are dead. They're desperate for life. And most of our world will get it to you by how much money you have. They'll congratulate you. You're good at a sport, congratulations. You're good at a degree, you make, you make an education, congratulations. You're pretty, you're handsome, congratulations. And most of the people never really get life because we're speaking to superficial things that are not eternal. But I don't just see an influencer. I don't just see a sports athlete. I see much more when I look at people. I see victory. I see hope. I see joy. I see people being content. I see the blessings of God in people. I see it and I pray to God that you see it. 1 Corinthians 14, 25, he concludes this topic by saying, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. Falling down in his face. That person that you prophesied to, we'll worship. And that person you prophesied to, we'll report that God is among you. The guest that comes in doesn't say God is here because we speak in tongues. The guest that comes in says God is here when we see life in their dead, dry situation. Let the church understand what we must do when we get with each other. When you have coffee with somebody, prophesy. You don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to be crazy about it. Speak life over what you find to be dead. Whether it be your marriage, your children, your health, your wealth, stop taking defeat understand that when the Spirit of God begins to move and the people begin to prophesy, dead things can live. Some of you are so desperate for just your husband to believe in you. Just your wife to say a word of encouragement. Your boss at work to say you're going to be okay. But I've come with such a greater powerful message today. I come under the anointing and authority of God Almighty to tell you no matter what you're going through right now and how bad it looks and how dry and dead it is, in the name of Jesus, you can live again. Do you hear me in the name of Jesus? Not because of you. Not because you're great, but because God sees your victory in himself. And when you partner with my God, I'm telling you, you can live again. You can rise up from whatever you're in. There is nothing impossible for God. There is nothing too hard for God. There is nothing he cannot do in this service. Somebody understand, there is prophecy right now. And when the prophecy goes forth and you grab it, you begin to live. Know what you're going through today church family guests I don't have answers for you all I know is when I look at you I see hope I see life I see resurrection I don't see busted broken marriages Edgar I know you guys been through a lot I don't see that all I see is victory I'd be shocked if you backslid I'd be shocked if you didn't make it I'd be surprised because all I see in you and your family is anointing and power and blessing. And all I see is ministry and future. That's all I see in Jessica. That's all I see in Edgar. I see it. Do you see it today, church family? If you get in the Holy Ghost, you see people living again. You know what some of us need to go pray through and talk in tongues? Because you can't see it. 
you can't see it, God's not moving through you. But when God begins to move through you, you start to see people different than they really are. You don't see people's background, their color. You don't see what kind of car they drove up in. You don't see their history and smell their clothes. You just see that God can do anything with anybody. You stop judging people. You stop wondering about their past. It doesn't matter what they've been through. It doesn't matter what they just did last night. I don't see that. I see you alive. The most spiritual ones among us. Don't see cheaters, adulterers, drug dealers, murderers, gossipers, backstabbers, and whatever else the world has called you. The most spiritual people in this room right now see you rising up out of whatever you're in. And this is how we can still love people that aren't right. Because we see it. It's time for us to pray for a few moments today, church family, but it's time for us really to unlock prophecy. The first people I want to pray over right now is anybody who wants God to use you in prophecy. I want you to come down the front right now. If you want God to use your tongue, your mouth, to be able to speak life over dead things, every minister should come, every minister's wife, every member of the church who wants God to use you, fill this altar right now. We're going to 